time yep. speaking with your class. Um, I'd love to just kind of know my audience a little bit more and learn about what kind of sports you guys have played in your past. Does anybody have any background in volleyball at all? Yes, love it, good. Anybody else? What are some other sports in this room that, that you guys have knowledge of? Basketball, have played before, track, yes, swimming, okay. Um, uh, obviously, you know, um, coaching, it's, to me, I feel like coaching is one of the sports that, I don't know many people that grow up thinking, I want to be a coach as my lifetime career. There's very few, I think, kids in high school, kids in college who know that this is the profession that they want to be in. And uh, with my background, I certainly didn't know that this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life when I, when I was in college and I was your all's age. Um, so I grew up playing multiple sports, which I think is um, something that a lot of kids nowadays are not doing. I'm a huge advocate of playing multiple sports when you're in middle school, when you're in elementary school, and maybe not uh, prioritizing your sport until later in your, your high school career. But um, So I played volleyball, basketball, did track growing up. I grew up in Ohio, um, and I got a letter uh, that said Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, a recruiting letter and, the, and Coastal Carolina meet, Coastal Carolina wanted me to play volleyball there. So I was like, sweet, the beach. I'm leaving Ohio. There's like three inches of snow right there t there today. Um, so yeah, I haven't gone back. My family's still there. So I just go visit them, that's all. Um, so I uh, played at Coastal Carolina um, and I was a business management major. Absolutely thought I was going to um, maybe take over my dad's business or do something, he's an entrepreneur, do something along those lines. Um, and towards the end of my senior year of college, it's kind of like, what do I do with my life? Are there any seniors in here? Okay, you're probably close to that point too. What am I gonna do with my life? Um, it's, really, it's really difficult and I had an amazing um, uh, professor who was also my advisor. Um, he knew my background in sports and at the time, I, I mean, I graduated college in, in the late 90s. Um, sport administration was a new and kind of upcoming uh, program that only a few colleges um, offered in a master's degree program. And so I spent my spring break of my senior year, I skipped, I skipped the Bahamas trip and went, um, let's see, I went to Tennessee, I went to Florida State, uh, there was a Westchester College and Ohio University that had, um, so I literally went all around the East Coast um, touring different schools and, and meeting with uh, sport administration uh, professors and, and programs that had that as a master's because um, the professor at, at uh, Coastal Carolina you know he, he kind of gave me the options in the business world and it was like accounting and marketing and human resources and I'm just like that sounds awful I've lived most of my life in a gym um, and I had no idea sport administration was even an option in terms of a master's program and so I got accepted into Florida State and um, uh, once I got accepted there, I was a young, naive 22-year-old. I walked into the head coach's office because I was just touring campus. I had jean shorts on, I had a t-shirt on, and I just said, hey, any chance you need a volunteer coach? And she's like, well, actually, we need a second assistant. My assistant uh, is leaving the end of June to go back to China, and she was part of like their national team. So she was going back to compete with them. So I, um, I hounded her for a whole month, and every week I gave her a call, I shot her an email, 
just to see if she had made up her mind about who she was choosing. And she said she liked my persistency and she hired me, someone fresh out of college, um, uh, you know, played at a mid-major Division I level, uh, got my coaching start at Florida State um, as a second assistant. That's the low man on the totem pole. You have all like the boring filing work and all the stuff that the head coach and the first assistant don't want to do is basically, was basically my job. Um, and I was a full-time master's program uh, student as well. But even at that time, had no idea that coaching was going to be my career. I thought maybe I'd get right into administration in terms of being an athletic director uh, or into compliance. But then as you're in the master's program and you learn about exactly how much that goes into sport, and I hope a class like this enlightens you into it's a lot more than just X's and O's. And there is a lot of management. There's a lot of um, relationships that have to be built uh, when you're in this profession. Uh, and uh, it really wasn't until uh, maybe my second year of coaching, um, I had an amazing mentor. Um, she came in, the head coach at Florida State, she came in the same year as Bobby Bowden. Some of you may or may not know that name. He coached at Florida State football for a very long time. So they came in the exact same year, um, and she was an amazing woman um, to learn uh, to learn coaching from. So I feel very fortunate that that was my very first um, coaching position, and I was able to be mentored by um, someone who's very influential in the sport of volleyball today. She's still she's retired from Florida State, but she's um, working with our USA national team and does a lot of um, uh, governing body type work uh, with our sport. Um, so I spent three seasons at Florida State and um, as a second assistant wanted to jump into that first assistant position which is primarily normally a recruiting coordinator role um, where it's a ton of communication with kids and uh, with, with high school recruits and traveling all over the country to go watch them play in person um, and I had an option of staying in Florida or going to Washington DC to George Washington University and so I ended up there for eight years. Um, I loved it. DC is a really fun place. There's a lot of um, opportunities for people who are just entering the workforce in Washington, DC. And I wouldn't have stayed there eight years if I didn't if I didn't love it. I'm from a very small town in Chillicothe, Ohio. Does anyone know where that is? Chillicothe, Ohio. There's always one person that knows. Yes. Are you from Ohio? Kentucky. Okay. So you've kind of heard of it. Okay. Perfect. Um, so, uh, DC, I, I was super frightened, but I ended up loving it, um, was there for eight years, had some success, and um, uh, was applied for this position and was offered the job and, and took it. I, I knew I wanted to dive into the head, co the head coaching realm. I felt that I, um, you know, spending 11 years as an assistant coach, I felt I was ready for the jump. Um, and now I've been here at UNCW for 11 years, so three institutions my whole career have been a college coach every day of my life since I've graduated college. That's like 22 years ago, um, which is crazy. I don't feel it. I still feel like I'm 22 years old. Um, but yeah, long gone. Um, so I think, um, you know, in, in terms of coaching, like my coaching style has for sure evolved even since I've been at UNCW. I think the one component I wish I would have picked up and I still probably could, I guess, um, along the way that I wasn't as prepared for is the psychology part of it. So, you know, obviously as a business management major, maybe took two classes in psychology, but I think that in the sporting world nowadays, so much of what the players need is more of the psychology part of things. Um, and so I do wish I had that background. I wish that there was more support in, this, in, the, um, in our athletic department for 
um, uh, basically like a sports psychologist that could meet with players, um, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. We have a nutritionist that's available to our student athletes, but I think a sports psychologist is the next thing that we're uh, kind of a, a resource that would be really helpful for our team and all of our players. Um, some, just some, some bullet points that, uh, that Professor Weber asked me to talk about is some principles that I think are important for um, making an effective coach. And again, my, my philosophy has really changed over my 11 years here at UNCW. My first three years, <clears throat> it was a lot of teaching accountability, responsibility. We had kids coming late to practice. We had kids breaking all kinds of rules. Um, it wasn't, I was more of a disciplinarian rather than a coach. Um, but I think we've recruited the right kids um, recently and um, um, I've kind of tailored my coaching. This is just a motto that has stuck with me um, for a while now is I want our whole staff to be able to coach the whole person, not just the athlete. So it's something I repeat to our recruits. It's something I tell a lot of people that I think is very important that I'm not teaching these players just about volleyball, but I have to teach them about making the right decisions in their daily lives. And believe it or not, yes, as coaches and as professors, um, as people who are educating you all, um, it is more than just um, you know what's on a slide and and uh, you know what's a kill, what's what what ball is in or out. Um, we started something. Um, with our team because we do want to be able to teach life lessons through sport and this is this might seem a little cheesy but it kind of helps put perspective on things so uh, like our Mondays uh, we call it mindful Monday um, and it's written on our practice shirts where uh, that day normally after a long weekend um, we have to it's not going to be a high intensity practice it's going to be more skill training and individual specific training based on what we did or did not do well over the weekend. Um, and then Tuesdays, we call it Teammate Tuesday. So that, so specifically on Tuesdays, um, we want that to be a day where you're ultra encouraging your teammates and you can't be really self-reflective and, and be all into like, if you're having a good day or a bad day, you have to be able to give support and encouragement to your teammates the whole practice long. Um, and then Wednesdays are My Why Wednesday. So this year we've decided to have our team um, come up with like a personal mission statement. Um, you know, we practice long hours, we practice 20 hours a week. And sometimes um, it can be hard as an athlete when you're putting in so much work to just remember why you're getting up out of bed every day. And then that might be not, that could just be normal people. Um, it doesn't have to be an athlete. I think everybody um, should have just a personal mission statement that helps you remember why it is you're here, uh, why it is you've made this decision in your life to take this path. Um, so I think if they are, are able to recollect at least once a week or reflect once a week on why it is they chose to be you know, a student at UNCW, why it is they chose volleyball as their sport of choice, um, just kind of having that time for reflection can help internally motivate them rather than me having to pull their teeth and get get something out of them that they're you know might be might be hard to get out of them that day um, we really want the the motivation to be more intrinsic um, rather than kind of pulled from them and then Thursdays um, we try to do um, uh, what we call a thankful Thursday so we want to give gratitude uh, we've had we've had our players write letters 
back to somebody that's been influential in their life or they just shoot a text message to somebody that they've been thankful for that week. Um, and again, it's just, I think it, it helps them remember more of the good things that are going on in their lives because we all have really tough things that we're going through. You guys are not excluded from that. My players are not excluded from that. Um, so I think as a coach, I have to be a lot more understanding of uh, and compassionate about things that happen. Um, we've had a number of people, including myself, that have experienced um, death in the family this semester, and I have to be able to help navigate that with our players, and they miss practices, and they miss games because of things that happen in life. Um, so I truly, honestly believe when I tell you we have to coach the whole person, not just the athlete, it's absolutely 100% uh, true uh, in our profession. So my relationship with our players goes way beyond um, the volleyball court. Um, and then our, our t-shirt for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so we say, we like to say that weekends are for our family, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and our t-shirt says family, and it's forget about me, I love you. That's what family stands for, forget about me, I love you, and everything that we do together on the weekends, obviously mostly we're traveling on the weekends or we're competing on the weekends, um, so we try to make it like a true, meaningful family time. Again, this might seem a little cheesy as I talk about it, but it actually absolutely has given our team a, just um, a different perspective on what motivates them besides being good at volleyball. And I think if we can motivate them with everything that's going on in their life and trying to um, you know, achieve success in the classroom, um, uh, then I think it'll just happen naturally um, on the volleyball court. So that's just the main principles that I think are, uh, are, effective, um, are effective for coaching. Um, how to coach players individually, that can, that can, be, a li that can be tricky. It's, it's never the same formula for one person. I really do have to get to know my players on an individual basis. I meet with players one-on-one -on -one to watch video with them. Um, I'm a very visual person, I like to see it and we, I have this huge whiteboard that I roll out uh, onto the court for practice every day. Um, and we've got, we'll write drills, um, but not only is it the drills that we're gonna do in practice so they know ahead of time what they're doing, but there's a focus for each drill. So we'll have a drill up on the board, we uh, talk about what the focus should be, and then once we've completed that drill, we come back to the board and say, okay, what, we'll, we'll find some resolution to it. We'll, what went well, what didn't go well. The next time we do this drill, what can we work on, what can we focus on, or what's a goal that we can try to achieve. Um, so we don't wanna just go out there and practice just to practice. We wanna be able to have specific things um, that we're trying to achieve with every single drill, whether that's a number goal, um, or it's an execution, uh, an execution drill, or it's just competitive, your side needs to win. It can be as simple as that. In terms of um, you know, motivation and, and trying to inspire players, again, I try to make it more rooted in, in them coming up with their own <coughs> desires and goals. Our team will always, have, will always set goals together, and a lot of the standards that we have for our team and our rules are rules that they came up with. Um, so I, we do have to teach accountability, responsibility, and then it's taking ownership. Um, 
uh, a lot of the rules that I have to enforce aren't rules that I came up with. We allow our team to um, create whatever rules they want kind of that season, and obviously they have to be within reason. Um, uh, so I think being able to empower the players to have their own standards and set their own goals is much better than me telling them what I think they should be doing this season um, or why I think they should be doing it. So really giving some of that power back to our players in terms of what they want to accomplish um, is important. And I'm, <laughs> there are some legendary coaches out there and I am not afraid to steal from them. So a lot of times I will find inspirational videos that I'll show the team before practices. Um, there's all types of great quotes from some legendary coaches. Um, uh, that all we have a group message that we use through GroupMe. So on a game day, or just if somebody's having a, a, a tough day, like I'll send them a quote that I've seen on social media or from another coach. Um, I think it is for sure our job to be continuous, continuous learners. Um, the book I'm reading right now is the Inner Game of Tennis. It's all about kind of mindset and kind of a lot of positive self-talk. So I think most coaches um, that take this profession seriously are gonna learn from other coaches and those coaches that are doing it well, how come they're doing it well? How come they're successful? So it doesn't matter to me what sport that coach is coaching. Um, I wanna know what they're telling their team during timeouts. I wanna know what they're telling their team um, before a game. That, when I watch this sport, when I watch football, when I watch basketball, and they, you know, they have a coach mic'd up. I love listening to what those coaches say, um, and and uh, it kind of, uh, I don't know, can can help me, um, you know, extract whatever I need to and, and turn it into something positive for our team. So um, I think that continuing education as coaches, some people in our profession is, is really important. And yeah, I'm not afraid to steal some nice quotes from other people. Um, uh, something, something a little you know unique as well is um, just being a, a female in this in the sports industry. Um, you know, it can have its challenges. It can have its opportunities. I think that obviously, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys um, discuss it very much, but Title IX is. Um, has certainly helped female sports um, for a very long time, since really the, the 70s and early 80s. Uh, we just had a, an alumni reunion this past weekend and we honored um, uh, the team from 1988, the UNCW volleyball team from 1988. They have our winningest record in program history. They were like 30 and three on a season. And so all these women came back and we're so excited to see how much um, has changed since their time. They had amazing, um, like torture stories, legitimate torture stories that they that they could tell us from their day of playing, and um, uh, they would all go back and do it again. Um, so I think that uh, just remembering what it was like earlier. I know, um, you know, my mom growing up, she didn't have the opportunities like I did um, to be able to play sports and. I think there's always gonna be a sense of pride in that. Um, uh, I think I'm just a, a big advocate of, of using sports, um, even at a young age, whether you play or not in college, that's really not the point, but um, uh, being able to play through middle school and high school really teaches, teaches you a lot, and it teaches you to overcome adversity, and um, again, as, as a female in this sport, I'm really surrounded by uh, 
you know, by male counterparts most of the most of the way. And I'll never forget my my very first tournament. I coached here at UNCW. Um, I was the only female head coach, and the other five teams that were here on campus uh, were all male head coaches, and we were hosting a huge tournament. And one of them had an issue with videotaping or not videotaping the games that his team did not play in. He wanted to videotape everything, not just his game. And at the time, the rule was you only get to videotape your game. We, that's changed now. Um, but he screamed at me um, about this prior to a game. And I was just like, Florida, I can't believe that, that somebody uh, you know, would act like this in the, in the profession. And um, it kind of took me back to when I was at FSU and I was in charge of camps, I made a phone call and the dorm people were like, oh no, we don't have enough beds for volleyball camp. And the head coach at FSU, she called them right up and was like, what do you mean you don't have enough beds? We reserved these, you know, I don't know, eight months ago, we need this, this, and this. And she just got stuff done. And that was just the lead, she, she was not afraid to kind of step up to anybody. And so at, in the moment, I felt like I had courage to be able to kind of put him in his place and tell him like, this is, this is the role and we're not changing it. Um, and I had to try to keep my composure. Um, but it was just me in a circle of you know five guys just kind of all fighting me on this one thing. And it can be really tough and intimidating sometimes. And I don't think um, I would have been good in that situation if I didn't have uh, a mentor that kind of showed me how to stay on my own ground. And, and I think it's, I don't even know if I can really say it's like male versus female, I think anybody um, should be able to stay on their own ground and, and kind of, you know, be able to, to give their opinion without, without getting yelled at. Um, but that was just my personal experience with, with something my, ver my very first year as a head coach um, that was difficult for me to kind of navigate. Um, and, you know, since, since my time here, though, I can say that um, I think our, our athletic department at UNCW um, does take female sports seriously. I feel I feel that I have a voice here. I feel that um, they listen to any issues that that come up and that 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 arise throughout a season. Um, and not every athletic department is like that. So I've really enjoyed my time here at UNCW. Um, it's definitely a a, a place <coughs> where um, people work together uh, and they listen to opinions and. Um, you're okay with having a different opinion from, from anybody else and uh, you're, you're heard. You might not get the answer you like, but at least they're going to listen. Um, and it's really, it's not like that at every, at every college um, or at, in at every athletic department. Um, so I'm definitely very thankful for that. Um, I'm happy to answer maybe any other questions that you guys have because I feel like I can talk forever about volleyball and <coughs> what I do, but I'd rather know what you guys have on your mind, yeah. Um, when you, going back to when you were talking about your first three years, I think, at UCW, you were talking about how it was tough to getting, like, to show you trust him and, like, you know, because there's a lot of liability and stuff. Do you think it was, what's changed from then to now, do you think it's because of who you recruited or your coaching style changing? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. There just weren't a lot of, um, high standards of accountability. I think the team really wanted to be good. They just didn't have a path to get there. And I don't think that they all trusted that things like being on time to practice and not drinking the night before a game 
I don't think that the prior team felt that that was maybe important. Um, so I think uh, getting them to realize if we have this goal that we want to achieve as a program, you know, X, Y, and Z have to happen. How committed are we to this goal? And they all bought into it. Um, so I think that was really helpful. You know, we've got, you know, we're all, I, I remember when I was, you know, 18 and in college and I made lots of mistakes and being able to give second chances and, and really make sure that there's a learning lesson involved so it doesn't happen a second or third time um, has, has really been helpful. Uh, I think that just the changeover in coaching staffs and what the expectations were was really hard in my first three years. And it's, it's unfortunate because there was actually, there's just, there was a lot of beef between the kids I didn't recruit and the kids I did recruit and that wasn't intentional by any means. That just is kind of sometimes naturally what happens when a coach, when a new coach takes over. Um, yes. Um, I'm a student athlete here too, mm -hmm. and every volleyball girl I've known um, is usually very tall. Um, <laughs> so, like, how how big of a role does height play in recruiting? <coughs> My little sister, mm -hmm. who it, she's extremely athletic, but she's not very big, mm -hmm. and she wants to play volleyball in college. She's a freshman in high school. And uh, I just want to know like, how big of a role like, that kind of stuff plays into it. So the smaller kids, the, the shorter kids to stand out, you, have, you for sure have to have a big personality and you've got to be able to have more of an effort on the court than the taller kids. Um, it's unfortunate, obviously this is, um, you know, we're, we're short compared to probably a lot of our conference and a lot of the top you know, 25 teams for Division One Volleyball. Um, and there are some positions where you can get by being, you know, 5'5 five, five or 5'4, five, um, but the majority of the positions do require um, some height. Um, and it's, it's mainly, you know, I've, I've recruited kids who are 5'10 and can touch the rim, or they're, you know, 6'2 and can touch the rim. So it really, in terms of like if you're an attacker or blocker, we want you to be able to jump high. And even if you're a smaller player, as long as you have that high vertical jump, we're still going to be be interested in you. Um, positions like liberos and defensive players uh, or setters don't have to be as tall. So it's really, height is position specific for volleyball. Um, there's just more positions that do require that height at the highest levels. Um, my niece is 5'5", five, five. I don't know if she's going to grow anymore. She's also a volleyball player, wants to play in college. and. I just tell her that she's got to be the workhorse. She's the one that ha she has to understand the game better than her other teammates. She's got to outsmart her opponents rather than, than outjump them or outpower them. She's got to be the smarter, um, more aggressive one on the court. So I just keep telling her that. Yeah. What position did you play? I was an outside hitter, so I played all the way around. Yeah. yeah. I was a libero. Okay. I was short, too. I'm 5'10", and I was short for my college team. <laughs> So, you got a question too. Uh, going back to your mentorship mm -hmm. from your time with the different coaches being assistant, what, what's your biggest takeaways from being like an assistant coach and watching, watching your head coaches? Um, as an assistant coach, a lot of times you have to agree and do things that, well, the head coach normally, know, if they're a veteran head coach, they normally know what they want. And whether and you you got to kind of pick and choose your battles with what you want to agree or disagree about, um, and that can be really hard for some assistant coaches. That can be really hard. I have two uh, male assistants um, who are older than I am, and 
and sometimes that can be a little tough for them when I'm not taking their advice and I say, you know, thanks, but I'm gonna make a different decision on this. Um, so as an assistant coach, I think I learned uh, very quickly just because of how much experience she had that I just needed, very early on in my career, I just needed to shut up and listen and learn. Um, and that's maybe not the way that you always want to do things, but at that time, when I first started coaching, that was, that was what you did as an assistant. Um, but I, I think I just learned to, to be, um, to be, to be strong when it came to like the administrative stuff and wanting, wanting things for your program. Um, uh, at FSU, we, we wanted to, we had a, um, a big donation to, inc to, to rebuild the locker room. And they only wanted us to like rebuild this small part, but the head coach wanted like the whole basement of the gym. And so that was like an ongoing battle and she got her way. And so I feel like just kind of fighting for our program is um, you know, what, I, what I've learned from her. Um, and at the same time, there were times where, where uh, as a first year coach and things are being like the team isn't playing well, we're losing and I just want to scream at them and I'm just like red faced and the coach calls a timeout and she's like laughing and the head coach, she's like laughing and joking. There was one time she had like rolled up a bunch of little pieces of like tore up a bunch of pieces of paper and I saw her doing this on the sideline. She put them in her hand. So she called a timeout and then she was like <coughs> and coughed on them all and all this stuff went everywhere and they were just like Ew, what was that? And we were down by like 10 points or something, and she just wanted them to relax. I didn't have the knowledge back then to know that that's what the team needed at the time. She was just trying to get them like to be, to be less anxious, and um, uh, she wanted them to, to relax, and she had her own different ways of, of trying to do that. Um, so I'll always remember that experience, and. Sometimes I have to know when I when my team needs me to harp on them, and then times where I just where I need to tell them, hey, let's take a deep breath, let's not sweat the small stuff. Like we're making aggressive errors, as long as we're making aggressive errors, let's not let's not get upset about that. Let's keep going for it. So you just have to. I think that's what I learned from her for sure in terms of the coaching aspect is when to demand more out of your team and when to tell them to relax because they're they're just playing too tight. So. Funny story. Got lots of them. Yes. What's your favorite part of your career? Oh. <sighs> um. I love being in the gym. I love being in practices. It's it really beats sitting in an office all day long. So I love I I love practices just as much as games. Um. But I. Uh, we had about twenty alumni coming back, that came back this this past weekend, and honestly, seeing what some of these women are doing with their lives has been amazing. We've got amazing moms, amazing professionals um, that have come through our program that are they're living all over the world and <coughs> two players that are playing overseas right now. And we've never had a professional player come out of UNCW and I've got two. One is in Austria and one is in Sweden. Um, and they're kicking butt. They're like first in their league. Um, they're getting paid. Overseas, volleyball players are pro athletes. Volleyball is bigger than basketball overseas. Um, so they're, they're playing you know, big time athletics. So to me, that type of stuff makes me really proud and keeps, keeps me going. Because 
Um, this is, it's a lot of long hours. I'm putting in 10 to 12 hour, 10 to 12 hour days every single day, even on weekends uh, when I'm in season. Um, so to, to know that I'm impacting our players' lives in a positive way is honestly, like I, I just am so proud whenever I hear about something amazing that one of our alumni have done. And I've got 20 years worth of alumni and I still keep in touch with every single one of them. So, like, with your coaching style, you talked about it in the beginning how you had that difference in, like, the old kind of team and your new team. Mm -hmm. But even to this day, like, when you come across a player that may not play well under your coaching style or may not react well to the way you coach, how do you handle that and adjust accordingly? It, it's really tough. I try to, I try to, you know, have conversations with them about um, the things that I think are important, and I need them to see my side of things, and I have to, you know, come halfway and, and try to see their side of things and and you know what helps what motivates them I'm sure all of you guys have had coaches that you've loved and hated right mm -hmm. like your favorite coaches and then your least favorite coaches and I've had that too my college coach I actually don't even keep in touch with her and I had a horrible relationship with her so it's crazy that I'm a college coach when I didn't have a good mentor when I was a college volleyball player my mentors came earlier in my career and later in my career uh, but not during college so um, it, it, it gets tough. You know, we've had, we've had very few um, scholarship players transfer from our program. I would say like maybe two in like 10 years. Um, and uh, we do carry a number of walk-ons on our team and sometimes playing time can determine whether or not they decide to stay with us or not. Um, but there's usually never a disagreement or something big enough that causes a kid that, that we can't come to terms with. It's just, it's happened rarely. Uh, for us, um, and I, th I think to, a way to combat that is through the recruiting process. Make sure I am ultra clear with that player and their family what the expectations are when they join our team. Actually, do a parent meeting so they drop off their kids to move to their dorm. I have a parent meeting with all of our incoming freshmen, and so like I lay it down for the parents. They're going to call home crying. They're going to call home doing this. I need them to be a supporter of us as coaches. Um, and we go through a lot of different things with them. I think just through the recruiting process and that meeting alone, we try to, we try to um, like mediate expectations because kids get upset or people get upset when their expectations aren't met uh, in terms of athletics. So uh, I'm never gonna tell a kid, you're gonna come here and be an all-conference player, you're gonna be a starter. I don't sell them on that dream, like you're gonna work every day that you're here and the best players in our program um, want to continue to get better their freshman year, their sophomore year, junior year, or senior year. I have two seniors that, you know, their fate lies on if we win on, we have senior day on Sunday. If we win that game, we'll likely make it to our conference tournament. If we don't, we won't make it. So we've got to be able to keep the team motivated, you know, this week and um, uh, for practices and, and uh, if, if we, and I think just selling them on that expectation that um, you have to, until you're from your very first day till your very last day, like I have seniors coming in to watch video, they're wanting to work on their arm swing. That is amazing to me that I have a senior still wanting to work on things and get better when she probably has a week to two weeks of her career left. Um, so we just try to make that very upfront through the recruiting process that this is the best kids that I've ever coached are are constant learners and they're, they're never satisfied with where they're at as an athlete. Um, 
And usually if the players have that same mentality, we don't have a problem. If, if they're a superstar and they think they're good enough already, they don't usually last very long. Yes? Um, what is the, one of the most outstanding skills or intangibles that you find in a volleyball player? Competitive drive. And believe it or not, a lot of athletes don't have it, don't have the right, they like to win, but I think the best competitors like hate to lose more than they love to win. Um, the one that is one of the best that we've had uh, uh, through our program, and she holds a lot of records for us. She's playing in Austria right now. Um, I, didn't, I didn't teach that, it just came to her naturally. And whether she had a, whether she was playing well or was playing horrendous, you could not tell by her body language. You could not tell by her effort level if she was having a good or bad game. I have too many kids on my team that if they're having a bad game, they're gonna, that they're gonna show it if they're playing bad. This kid never showed it. She just was always next point, next point. And if the game was on the line, she wanted to be set the ball. She's gonna tell the setter, set me. And, and sometimes right now, I don't have a lot of kids like that right now that are saying, set me on game point, or I wanna serve a ball on game point. It can, be, it can be a little frightening sometimes to have that type of, you know, carrying the team on your back. And I think the best players want to carry the team on their back. They're willing to take risks. It's a, it's a Michael Jordan quote, right? Like, you miss, you know, 100% of the opportunities that you don't take. And there's too many kids that would rather, you know, just be part of the team and are unwilling to take the risk of, of failing or winning it for their, for their team the players that are unafraid to fail or take that take that opportunity, I think I've been the best ones to coach. Who has the most drive on the team right now? I can't answer that question. Who's the top two? You guys know them. You might know them. I can't. I can't. I can't. No. Uh, I mean, I, I have two have two amazing um, senior captains that are their senior day is Sunday. Um, They've both played quite a bit the past four years, and I actually, um, uh, we started doing something new this year. It's basically like coffee with coach. And so I just had coffee with them at eight o'clock this morning at Drift Coffee. It's an amazing place if you guys have never been. It's great, right? Um, so we'll just, we'll talk, we'll summarize the weekend and what they feel um, needs to happen this week, and they, they help keep me um, informed of like the pulse of the team. I needed to know, is the team still in it? Or is the team still ready to work this week so we can win on Sunday to get our conference tournament? And they, I trust them and the team is still in it. They're still ready to, to play for their seniors. So um, right now those two, they just have a lot, you know, they're, they wanna go out with a bang and usually it is kind of the seniors that have that driving motivation, um, especially towards the end of the season. They see their career you know, coming to an end, so they're gonna they're gonna go all out. And if you have the right leadership, they've got the rest of the team uh, on the same page with them. So I think we have that this year with our two seniors. Yes. What goals do you set each year when you uh, when you prepare for the season? So we that's a it's definitely a combination of what we want our gym culture to be like. So I let the team set our gym culture. What what type of actions must we see in practice every day? So they come up with that. But then as a group, um, you know, we talk about what our what our ultimate goals are. 
Um, and, and I'm kind of torn with the goals because sometimes you can set goals and when you see so many of them not happening, it can be deflating. So we had a goal to never lose at home this year. We lost plenty at home this year. You know, so just because it's a goal doesn't mean it's going to happen, but at least that goal gives them motivation reminders. I post the goal. It's in their locker room. They have it posted. Their gym culture is on our whiteboard, so they see it in front of them every day, but at some point, sometimes those goals get pretty deflating, and so I've actually almost thought about, obviously, we still need to have standards in the gym for practices, but I've thought about... Um, like the character stuff that I mentioned you know, today, just about the, the thankful Thursday and the family weekends, making more goals built on like character and how we come together as a team rather than the wins and the losses. Um, I don't know if that work or not, it's just like a, a pipe dream that I have to make that also part of our goals, uh, to see if, and I think it's a, it's a wooden quote that if you, if you focus on the character building, then the wins come naturally. Um, so I love a lot of John Wooden books. I don't know the exact quote, but um, I've thought about doing that as, as goals too. Uh, right now it is very much wins and losses goals, but that can be tough when you're not getting the results that you want to reflect on those and can be a little defeating and deflating sometimes. Those are all amazing questions. Any more? Yeah. Um, you said like stat goals for you. We do, we do. Our conference, our conference <coughs> keeps stats. They keep individual like player stats on a lot of different categories, and then they do team stats. So we have our team hitting percentage, and then like individual hitting percentage, team digs per set, then individual digs per set. Um, so we see at the end of every week, our conference sends out the stats, and we get to see where we fall. Um, and it helps us base our train. Like if we're last in digs, then we're gonna work a lot on digging this week. Um, that helps us from a training standpoint, but it's not, if you're not in the top five or you're towards the bottom of the conference in a lot of those categories, it can be tough for the, the players to see that information on a weekly basis. So sometimes we share it or sometimes we let them look it up themselves. But as coaches, we look at it every week to decide kind of what we need to work on in practices. How do you slow down the game for a young athlete, maybe like a transfer athlete that's coming in, maybe anxious, nervous, trying to prove themselves or something like that? Um, I don't have to be slowing down the game. I think someone brand new, you have to get them incorporated with getting to know the team off the court really quickly. So this year we had two practices in preseason before school started. We started like August 7th and then like August 9th, we took a four day, um, uh, trip up to Lake Norman. We got very lucky and one of our players has two grandparents that live next to each other and like another house. We had like three houses all near each other. So we still practiced like in the mornings and then we'd have like the day to you know, spend on the lake or jet skiing and things like that. So being able to do things off the court is really the best way to integrate the team. We had them, I had them stay um, by position. So like all the setters had to stay together all the middles stayed together, and we do like a big hawk, little hawk. So I have a senior, junior, sophomore, freshman, uh, big hawk, little hawk groups, and we have them do um, uh, dinners or coffee or something at least once a month together. In preseason in August, we do once a week. Uh, and then we also, I, I really, <clears throat> so we have 
four middles, we've got three setters, we've got, I don't know, eight outside hitters. And it can be a lot of like by position conflict. So I, I really like watching video by position. I like those positions, the, the positions to maybe um, we'll do like lunch by position so that they're getting to know each other and that they're supporting each other off the court. So if I'm in middle but I'm not playing, I'm gonna be charting my other middle and when there's a timeout or a side switch, I can show her, hey, you've got this open, this open. So we really try to teach every position to help each other out, especially during games. And practices, it's hard, everyone's playing, but during games, we want um, the players on the bench to still be able to give feedback uh, to their position on the court um, that's out there. So we try to incorporate a lot of different things to get them connected and to get a new person connected. It would be the same thing that we try to do for them. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we it. appreciate it too. Good job. Good luck on your tests right, on Thursday. Yep. Tests on Thursday. Oh, when is okay. your next? When's your next game for them? If they Sunday's want. our last home game. So if anyone's around on Sunday, our last home game is at one o'clock. We play in Hanover Hall. Hopefully, you guys know where that's at. It's the, it's the little gym next to Trask, but it's a great environment once we pack it. Uh, yeah, it's our last home game, and it's it's a do or die situation. We have to win it in order to make the conference tournament. It's at one o'clock. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, because soccer, soccer plays at seven for the conference championship on Saturday night. Did you guys know that? Our soccer mm -hmm. team is in the conference championship Saturday night at seven, and we play at one. Cool. So, Thanks thank a lot. You. Appreciate it. <clears throat> All right. Oof. Let's go ahead and stand up. Move a little bit before you, before you head out today. I'll let you go a little bit early today. Um, Let's go, let's, let's work on a sh our shoulder car, our shoulder control articular rotation. So we're going to be going like this with one side, so just make sure you don't backhand anybody. Alright. Alright. So remember, your whole body is a statue, nothing moves but the joint we're trying to move. So if I move this shoulder out and my whole body starts to go with it, that means I don't have a shoulder. Okay, so you're, you're actually assessing the range that you have actively, okay? Now, if I go like this, I have a lot more range than if I start to try to control it, okay? So we're, we're looking for controlled range. All right, so we're gonna squeeze that left fist out by beside us. We're gonna go ahead and flex that right arm all the way up, squeeze your abs, squeeze your legs, pull the ground apart. From here, we're going to turn that bicep out and internally rotate the shoulder all the way and then from here just the shoulder is going to reach back hold right here keep internally rotating that bicep and the shoulder go ahead and keep reaching back all the way back all the way back and hold right here try not to jet the head forward try to stand up nice and tall keep internally rotating all the way back until the back of the hand reaches the side of the body the back of the hand is here. From here, we're gonna go in reverse. Extension of the glenohumeral joint. From here, external rotation at the glenohumeral joint, reaching all the way back, all the way up. Watch out, forward and down. Let's try that one more time. Go ahead and flexion. Internal rotation, all the way to extension. 
all the way back and down. Okay, reverse it, back, external rotation, all the way to flexion, forward and down. Now this time we're gonna go across the body. So you're gonna feel it when you adduct the shoulder, we're gonna go across the body, up, internally rotate and back. Don't open up the chest. All the way to the side and down. One more. Back. Externally rotate. All the way back. Forward and down. Right, let's try the left shoulder. Okay. Flexion. Squeeze that right fist. Internal rotation here. All the way back. Reaching back. Keep internally rotating all the way, keep internally rotating, back of the hand next to the side. From here, extension, external rotation here, all the way to flexion, forward and down. We're gonna do it two more times. Flexion, squeeze the fist, squeeze it a little bit more than last time, stretch, straighten out the elbow. Don't let the chest and hips move. See where your range is, internally rotate all the way to extension, find your full range. Keep internally rotating as the back of the hand reaches the side of the body. Half a breath, one or two. Extension, external rotation, all the way back, all the way up, forward and down. This time we're gonna go across the body. So we're gonna go across. You should feel it right when you go right here, and then all the way up. Internally rotate to extension. And then all the way down, and then extension, external rotation, all the way to flexion, all the way across, forward and down. Okay, so that was your glenohumeral. Now, <clears throat> with our scapula, let's go ahead and let's do the hands next to the sides. So pretend like you're holding on to a $100 bill in between your elbow and your side. We're gonna go up. Keep your elbows straight, try not to bend the elbows. Back, all the way down, and just shoot those hands all the way down. Forward, up, back, and down. Keep those elbows glued, and then back and up. Try not to move your head. Forward, all the way forward and down. One more rotation, all the way down back, up, forward, and let's go the other way, and relax it down, okay, shake it out a little bit. Um, for your hands, just bring the back of your hands on the desk just like this. Shouldn't feel any pain, if there's any closing angle pinch pain, this is something that you want to go away from, but if you have the ability here, just start pressing the back of the fingertips into the desk, 10%. 20%, safe effort, 30%, hold right here. If you wanna challenge yourself to 40%, hold, five, four, three, two, and then from here, squeeze your fists together here in this position at about a 10 to 20% level. So don't go too hard, but try to see if you can get all those fingers in your palms making a fist, hold it for 10, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, straighten the elbows, three, two, 
and slowly relax those wrists. From here, just go through really slowed wrist car, wrist circle, just all the way around, all the way down, out, all the way up, and then in. Try to only move your wrist. Try not to move your elbows or your forearms. As slow as you can, and you're trying to find as much as most range as you can. Let's go the other way. All the way up, try to keep those hands flat. Go as slow as you can turning out, and as slow as you can turning down. Hold it in its down position. Try to get the back of the fingers all the way back. Hold that for five, four. Try to go to end range, three, two, and slowly relax here. For our hip, you get to try to find some space. I don't know where that might be, so you're just gonna be opening and closing the hip. Now, if you have your phone, if you wanna challenge yourself, I want you to see if you can keep your phone behind your knee, because this is what we're gonna do. Oh, I don't know, don't do that. If you break your phone, you're gonna blame me or something. Uh, if you want, you can put something behind your knee, like a book, and we're gonna go like this. So hands at the sides are holding onto a desk or the wall. We're going to start with hip flexion, dorsiflexion of the ankle. We're gonna go out, hold right here. Internally rotate, and then all the way to extension, all the way to hip flexion. From here, hip goes out, hold here. Internal rotation, really hard part, to extension, and then all the way up. Now we're gonna reverse it. So we're gonna keep that knee bent all the way back, all the way out, around, forward, and then back. Keep that knee bent, try not to extend that knee. All the way out, all the way forward, and all the way down. Let's get the other side. <laughs> hip flexion, all the way to hip abduction. Internally rotate, that's fine, all the way back. Knee is bent, knee is next to knee. From here, hip flexion, out, in and back, and then keep that knee bent. We're gonna go back, target those glutes, external all the way forward, and then one more time, all the way back, all the way out, all the way up, and down. And then from here, we'll do a passive range lift off if we can. You can go like this on your desk, or you can put your foot on the chair, or another option is just to hold on to the foot, just like this. So if it's really tight up here, if it's really tight up here, then put your foot on the chair or just put your foot on your hand. Okay, so what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna hold right here. As I press into the desk, I'm gonna try to lift the foot off the desk just an inch, okay? So I'm gonna start pressing down with my foot and my knee down, you're gonna start feeling that stretch in the glute and hip. Hold right there, 10%, to 20, to 30, 40, hold right there, five, four, three, two, and then try to lift that foot up off the ground or off the desk and hold it for five, four, three, two, 
and then slowly get that out of the way. We'll try the other side now. Okay, hold right here. You should just feel a good stretch in that hip to start. Don't go into any pain. Just breathe. Okay, again, if that's too high, just set the foot in your hand and hold it like this. Wherever you are, we're gonna start pressing the foot and knee down. 10%, 20, 30, safe, 40%, hold, five, four, three, two. Now try to pull that foot up actively. Try to hold that foot up, up, five, four, three, two, and relax. So this is hip flexion and external rotation. So basically working on more hip flexion is gonna help you get up to this point. And then activating hip flexion while you're in hip flexion, creating that neural drive. Okay. Then we need to work on external hip rotation and hip flexion if you can't get up. And then it also could just be you can't get up that high naturally. All right, everybody, we'll see you on Thursday. Bring your note cards. It's tough to like that. Sitting. Just doing that stretch. Yeah. I, I like this one. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. I standing. didn't have to move. Mm -hmm. I just felt it. Plus, I did the um, uh, abductors. Abductor. Oh, yeah. Stability yesterday. Oh, yeah. You'll feel that. that. So, I was, I'm hurting for this. So I mean, sometimes you like what'll happen is you, everything will start feeling good. You're like, oh, I don't need really to do anything for my knee, but I would still do some of those uh, exercises I showed you in those videos or whatever your trainers have been doing with you. Still kind of do some of that stuff, but it's been feeling pretty good. Yeah. Sure. So, um, first one is. I messed up my hip playing basketball like uh -huh. a few years ago and like it's getting uh -huh. better but like uh -huh. when we do some of the stretching in here I can notice it a little bit. Uh-huh. And the other thing Is it right here or it's outside? like inside my hip. So like when you go like this to punch? Uh, not that much, it's more so when we're doing the one like, like that. that, yeah. You feel like right on the outside or in inside. inside? Yeah. Yeah. And it's um so I've always had that and then another thing is when I fell of course I messed up like my uh -huh. And when we do the exercise, it helps them. So, like, I was wondering if I could, like, what kind of, because I got it looked at, and they said it had, like, a type. It's not, like, through arthritis, but, yeah. Well, if you do, like, these are, these are called cars. Yeah. Now, if you do your hip cars and your shoulder cars daily, okay. you'll maintain the range that you have. You'll increase the longevity and health of it. So, in three years, if you're doing that, you're going to have a better shoulder and hip because you're naturally going to get worse if you don't. don't and then basically through the assessment you pick and choose like okay if it's my right shoulder my right hip 
then I start applying what we do in the classroom. I'm like, all right, ramp it up to 10%, 20%. Then what you're doing in those circumstances, you're actually building space in those areas to give yourself more range of motion. So you're not compensating as much when you are doing exercises that make